Angus, it's brilliant to see you. Thank you so much for coming. Been a while um, since I've seen you in person. Um, I'm, I don't know when the last time I did see you in person was, but it was probably about five or six years ago, I think. Yeah, I would say something like that. Yeah, I can't remember either. It's a bit of a whirlwind, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, and in that time, it seems like you've you've been very busy. You're a whiskey sponge. You're a you're a, a whiskey fun uh, contributor, writer, taster, uh, and now you're an independent bottler. So you've got. A lot going on in, in your life um but before we get into talking about what you've been up to in your sort of career in whiskey and things like that what's in your glass tonight sir uh, so first of all i'm just being very on brand i'm having a, a dram of our equinox and solstice bottling from last summer because uh-huh. uh, we do them uh, seasonally so four bottlings a year and th- uh, this one was uh, the, the name on the label is candle kitty and it's a unnamed highland single malt 10 years old uh i mean very obviously cleanleaf but yeah, it's yeah. <laughs> really it's it's i was was very happy with it it was three first fill barrels of 2010 uh, vintage and just got loads of distillery character uh, really worked at the bottling strength 48.5 just if you like that big waxy sort of super fresh and um, slightly floral but also slightly citrusy it's just got that lovely coastal highland yeah. character. I, I've yet to try. I mean, I've I've tried quite a lot. You will have tried a lot more than I have. But Klein Leash, I'm not sure it makes bad whiskey. You know, it, yeah. it's, it's always of a decent standard pretty consistently. Some of the other work I do is um, I'm on the panel for the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society. So I uh, get to try a lot of cast samples that way. And some of the really interesting stuff that's been coming through in the last couple of years is batches. They've got big batches of casks from... Mm-hmm. Uh, Klein Leash from 2012, 2011, 2013. And it's very interesting watching the distillery character like vary a little bit from batch to batch, but the quality is still high. You know, they make yeah. great distillate there for sure. Nice. Well, I think we'll just get tucked straight in into the, the kind of main part of the interview, mate. And and I've we were just chatting before we kind of started recording and and I'm trying to remember the first time I kind of saw your name and, and the first time I became aware of you. Uh, was when I was at Edrington because I was working at Highland Park and McAllen at that time. So and you, you, I, I thought it was maybe around 2011, 2010, something like that. But you've told me it's 2013. Um, what what were you up to back then when you started the Whiskey Sponge? Were you already working in whiskey at that point? Um, so that was when I I was I was travelling in 2011, and when I came back, that was kind of like the kickoff point for what we might call my career for want of a better term um, yeah. I'd started working in auctions I worked for a auction company in Glasgow called Mulberry Bank Auctions and then I was a director for a few years at Whiskey Online Auctions which are based down in Blackpool so that was like before that I'd done a number of things like I'd been a tour guide at Ardbeg Visitor Centre and I'd worked in a whiskey bar in London I'd worked for a uh, a winemaker in Alsace and classic Scottish whiskey person um, stuff uh, like working in odd bins, working in uh, Glasgow wine merchants, things like that. And so I had all this background and I had quite a bit of experience with old bottles. So I just sort of slotted into this auction world when I came back from traveling. I wasn't sure what I was going to do. I had no plans. And then while I was doing that, I was also writing some blog uh, entries for uh, Whiskey Online, their their website. And out of that, I just started thinking more about writing and I was thinking, well, no one's taking the piss out of all these really silly things that happen in whiskey frequently. Yeah. And so I thought, well, I'll just I'll just try my hand at that for a while. So there's a bit of an experiment 
really in the beginning and it just kind of evolved everything I've done just seems to have started as well let's just try this and see what happens and it just evolves from there and it's the yeah. same the same thing with bottling I never expected to do it and yet here I am yeah the sponge is funny right because I think what it does is it definitely draws out um and I'll be interested to know just like what parts of this are, are true or or just in my head but there's loads of good things that have happened in whiskey and you do you do sort of poke a funny and in a nice way in a positive way a nice spin on that through the sponge there's the bad stuff the stuff that's just crap that that we know um sometimes the big guys and sometimes the stuff that happens in the industry is not always for the betterment of the category the real stuff the ugly stuff uh, and the infuriating frustrating stuff that that seems to happen within whiskey and there's a there's a combination of all those things in the sponge that that pop up from time to time yeah i think in the early days the sponge was probably a bit crueler and a bit more scathing than it is now. I mean, I don't have time to do it as much as I did, uh, which I'm a bit sad about. I would like to be able to publish more, but I tend not to write anything unless I'm pretty kind of geared up to do it and I'm confident that I've got the energy and the, you know, a clear idea of what I'm going to do, that it's going to be a good quality bit of writing at the end of it. I don't just want to keep hammering away, putting out half-assed sort of yeah, yeah. mediocre stuff. So I'm a bit, you know... You know, I will only write something unless I feel motivated to do it. Um, but in the early days when I had a bit more time and I was really sort of going at it quite hard, it was it was probably quite a bit of you know anger behind it. And like this is, you know, there's so much bullshit going on. This stuff is ridiculous. You know, it needs calling out, whatever. Yeah. Um, I think it's probably evolved more towards just being very silly and surreal. And, uh, you know, I don't like... Um, I don't like just angry writing for the sake of it. Um, yeah. gonna, if you're going to criticise, um, have something meaningful and truthful to say, I think. But the the surreal and silly and sort of flights of fancy and almost like quasi-metaphysical science fiction themes and stuff, that's kind of, uh, that's kind of more my speed these days, just because I'm quite philosophical myself about whiskey and about life, and I think whiskey is... Uh, taken far too seriously a lot of the time so that's kind of my antidote to it is let's just you know talk nonsense and invest it all with a bit more fun and just relax and remember that you know life's arduous and crazy enough as it is without uh, taking something like whiskey too seriously as well yeah i picked up on that i read um i read the uh, the passage that you put together uh, following the passing of your dad uh, which was maybe two or three entries ago i think it was yeah. um and and you you do actually mention that you say if the whiskey sponge has a philosophy it's not to take life or whiskey too seriously and and that that's the other side of it as well is that that you know despite the silly craziness and the and the angriness and stuff that's happened throughout the sponge but the, 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 every now and then there's a there's a real uh, honest account um, in there too so that you know I think when I look back at the whiskey sponge and my interactions with it um, I've always found it a bit more of a roller coaster of emotions um and, and i think that's that's the, the yeah absolutely i mean i think at the end of the day the sponge is just uh it's just a reflection of me and some of the things i think and you know, obviously my opinions about whiskey and my experiences with it and uh you know the act of writing itself is really probably more of a, a passion or something that's quite precious to me than than whiskey so i uh, I take it quite seriously and uh, that's why I, I don't as I said I don't write that much these days I suppose because 
I don't want to do it unless I think I'm going to do a good job and unless I think I've got something that is actually useful to say that I think is truthful mm -hmm. uh, or just at least being true to what I what I think and that I can stand behind it and argue my case for it and um, you know I, I just think sometimes the internet is just it's like the Mr. Creosote in Monty Python, but just with opinion, just <laughs> yeah. one or away for a thin opinion and the whole thing's going to blow. And I think the you must have got, you must have got a few interesting emails after some of the posts over the years. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm sure yeah. I've had people, I've had people sort of corner me saying, why do you write that? That was cruel. First of all, I've had people sort of introduce and say, Oh, I love that thing in the sponge. And then after a few drinks, they're like, why did you write that? That yeah. was, that was unnecessary. And then I've had, uh, a couple of legal letters over the years uh, I've had uh, um, but by and large most people most of the feedback I've had has been positive you can't put yourself out there in this day and age with, without garnering some criticism uh, and and I'm sure that there's plenty things in there now if I were to wade back through a lot of the old posts that I would disagree mm. with or do differently you know I, I'm very very suspicious of anyone whose opinions don't change and evolve as they grow themselves yeah the, the thing is in whiskey and i've found this especially being on like the brand owner side my whole career pretty much is that you don't get strong opinions very often and and, and you know that there's a lot of kind of holding back you know of, of opinions from the industry and and you don't really see people kind of going poking fun at things and really sort of giving their honest opinion and and i think that was what was really refreshing about what you did with the sponge was as an independent, you can have an open opinion. You can have a bit of fun. No one needs to take it too seriously. Um, and, you know, you were able to voice that. And I think there'd be a lot of people out there who would like to be more opinionated, but perhaps, you know, sure. in their careers, it's a tough one, you yeah, know, if they're you know, working for... Yeah. Whiskey's a corporate world. It's a, it's a very conservative... This is the thing. I love whiskey, but I'm not so much a fan of the whiskey industry. I mean, it's, mm -hmm. a, it's a quite conservative, frequently lacking an imagination world often quite corporate often very rules-based rules bound and you know i think the product and sometimes the people suffer because of that but i do also think on the flip side a lot of that's changing quite fast like you i couldn't have had the career i've had if i started 10 years previously no. you know i've just kind of invented people say oh what's your job and i, I don't know i'm just a generic whiskey person who's kind of cobbled together a career for themselves and I don't think I could have done it earlier and I'm this is why I say you know I, I don't know where I'm going to be 10 years from now what I'm going to be doing I'm just I'm just making up as I go along almost yeah, yeah totally uh, yeah but uh, you know the whiskey whiskey as a as a culture and as a uh, you know a, a product and a you know a world is is big enough now to support more independent people that can have you know their own opinions their own voice uh, it's just it's it's very difficult because i think the architecture of things like drinks writing drinks writing is not well paid there's lots of advertising involved there's lots of leaning on industry associations and industry support and therefore there's a kind of an expected quid pro quo in these things so like i i don't really do paid whiskey writes anymore because it's not an interesting thing to do you can't yeah. write you know, for a whiskey magazine, in my view, the way that I can write myself with a sponge. So I just keep it as a hobby or, you know, or in whiskey fun or something like that. Yeah. So let's talk about whiskey fun because whiskey funds are a great resource, actually. That I was doing some work quite recently for Little Mill, actually. And um, I've tried a few over the years, I haven't tried them all. And 
as a data source to go back and look at tasting notes, to get an opinion, which is really important, I think, especially when, if you get a sense of what people like, you know, when you write, there's yeah. types of whiskies that you often pick out and elegant whiskies, whiskies that like Klein Leash, they've got that lovely texture waxiness, yeah, you know, not, not battered with sherry casks, you know, that, that style of whiskey seems to be the, the style that you like. And I've picked up on that a little bit and I thought, I wonder what he's written about Little Miller. I wonder what Serge has written about. And, I, and I've got a feel, I think, for what Serge likes. It's, it's brilliant. It's a great source of information for people. And it's a massive database now. I mean, it must be yeah. the single biggest database of whiskey well, tastings, right? I don't know about that. Probably, I would say. I mean, there was, it, it's the single biggest source, I think, of one person's uh, yeah. opinions. I think what, what the great strength with Serge is that he's got clearly defined tastes and opinions about whiskey. And he, he always telegraphs that. You know, he always says up front, these are my preferences as a taster and as a whiskey lover and as a drummer. And so you know when you read his notes and when you take the note with the score together, I think that's what makes it quite a powerful tool because people can judge or, or calibrate to that based on their own preferences and they can judge that against surges and he's quite consistent from note to note. I think there's probably a few like old incredible bottlings from you know back in the very early days of Whiskey Fun 2002-2004 where you know if you were to try them now they'd probably be a few points higher but back then he started comfortably in uh, what we always call the age of innocence and these whiskies were just abundant they were just 60s malts old glories sloshing about the shelves or you know yeah. 80 pound a bottle spring back local barley oh go on then you know so it was a different even, world. even your 12 year olds and 18 year olds and i remember looking yeah. back at just some of the, the sort of vattings and stuff and over aging back then was i mean yeah I mean, more that, more old whiskey than the way you know that there was the age it was meant to be you know like the springbank 12s that were brought down to strength with old underproof casks and things like that you know yeah, just yeah. incredible incredible bottlings you can't imagine happening now without a lot more fanfare and a much higher price tag but um i think that's so i think that's one of the things that's been the strength it is a great database and also because it, it he's it's still a hot i mean people the problem is now that whiskey is so expensive so scores become politicized and they garner a lot of attention because there's this big perception that's you know these scores are so powerful and they shift units and everyone's hanging on a knife edge waiting for the score to land and that's going to dictate the success of their bottling and you know people you know commercial well-being of companies and employees are bound up in this i don't believe that that is really the case in the way that some people say it is um surge's scores absolutely have power but you know i think that what we've we've forgotten is that this is still a hobby for him and always always has been and it still is and i think and he said several times to me if he really got fed up of it and he's come close a couple of times yeah. he's just going to stop he's going to pull the plug and yeah. away with it it's not a cataloged prop it's not a properly seo'd cataloged site uh, it's still running on like direct fired horse-drawn internet and web architecture yeah. like web 0.1 that he's on or something like that it's really yeah. old school and it would be an enormous job to drag whiskey fun kicking and screaming into like today's yeah you know, modern drop it onto a wordpress modern yeah, exactly. sort of version of itself yeah yeah and i think that's the charm it's a vintage website it it remains you know quite authentic it's got a very clear voice from serge i 
I'm always quite reticent uh, to sort of, you know, to say that I'm a big part of it because I, I've only been doing it for a few years. I post, you know, on Saturday once a week at most, and um, I'm very, I consider myself very lucky and, and honoured to be on it. And I think I'm, I'm on it because Serge and I, you know, we're good pals, we get on well, and I think we just share the same tastes in whiskey and a lot of similar ideas and philosophies behind it. And I think he, um, you know, he's recognised that in me. And, you know, uh, I think I'm just quite lucky to have, that he's allowed me onto his, his stomping ground, really. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. the thing that, the thing that strikes me, and I know you're busy, and I know he's busy, because he's got a real job as well. Um, and you guys do this off your own back. And you must be tasting, well, like you say, you do it on a Saturday, you publish it on a Saturday, but there's a lot of writing involved. Um, they're not three or four word tasting notes. You guys really do put a lot of effort into what you write, um, which is not easy because you're not always in the right mind space for that. Um, and then the other thing is just the whiskies themselves. There's a whole logistical thing, getting samples and getting bottlings and things like that. Yeah. How do you guys kind of navigate all of that? Is that? That must be quite time consuming still. It's not a five minute job, um, not, is it? It's not. The getting samples now is not, such a big deal because so many people love whiskey fun that Serge gets sent you know oceans of samples and I also get sent quite a few as well and so I've always got enough and I also for my own part open quite a lot of bottles still and I've got quite a lot of you know interesting old and rare things and also in the community of whiskey lovers around the world you know there's lots of friends out there that when they open old bottles they'll send Serge or I or both of us sometimes samples of the, you know, just two CL samples tasters because they love to see these things on Whiskey Fun. They love yeah. to, people love to feed the beast. They want to see Whiskey Fun keep growing and they're really interested to see uh, published, you know, opinions and notes from Serge about these bottles that they've opened themselves. And that's, that's a great community aspect to it. So the samples thing has not really been an issue. Although I will say the last couple of years during COVID when there's no festivals on so Serge you know puts quite a lot of work in more than I do in that he'll go around festivals very deliberately looking for whiskies that he thinks will be interesting and looking for new bottlings that he thinks are interesting new distilleries he's not tried and he uh, buys a lot of samples for whiskey fun as well so I know he buys uh, you know samples from like Master of Malt or Whiskey Exchange if there's ones that he, he wants to have on the site so uh, it's a big mix it's lots of people sending samples also quite interesting, a lot of sort of more distillery official companies choosing not to send samples because they just think they're going to get a bad review. So Really? That's interesting. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, uh, so that's a phenomenon as well. But COVID made it difficult and Brexit has made it difficult because a lot of companies um, struggle to send samples into Europe now without them, you know, attracting you know, duty charges and things. That's been a nightmare for Surge, particularly the number yeah. of parcels arrive and it's, oh, another... 60 euros 90 euros to pay for a duty and you know it's not really a sustainable way to do things so there's been a bit of a difficulty in that side but overall getting samples not difficult time consuming thing is is writing the notes and yeah. my experience yeah and i guess that's one of those right it's you've committed to it you're going to keep rolling with it and, and keep contributing and and like you say keep the beast keep the beast rolling because it's it is brilliant i mean i i like i say i check it regularly I think yeah. most people do, and it's great to see it. It's now on Instagram as well. People can sort of follow what you guys have been tasting, and it's um, yeah, it's easy to follow. For me, it's also a hobby. I mean, people forget, it. and you know, it's difficult because obviously I'm professional as well, and I I know that being a contributor to Whiskey Fun is has meaning to me in that sense. 
So there's a bit of a have your cake and eat it aspect to what I do, but um, you know, but at the end of the day, it is a hobby and it is fun, and it's not something I want to earn out of. It's not something I particularly want to expand, but I don't want to stop either. Even if I just end up getting to the point where I do, you know, two or three notes a week or host a couple of times a month or something, I love being part of it and I enjoy the fun that we have doing it. And that is really, I mean, people forget the title of the website is almost a philosophy in itself. It's whiskey fun, have fun with whiskey. It's so much synergy between that and what I do. You know, I talked about with what I do on the sponge and what I do with the, the bottlings now. Like it, it's really just about trying to have fun. Um, and so I, I take that aspect of it pretty seriously. And I, I'm keen to, the moment it stops being fun or becomes too difficult, I probably would just stop and step back from it. But at the moment, I don't think that's you know there's any reason to do that or it's on the card so I, i'm gonna ha happily keep chipping away at it even if i just end up doing you know two or three random old bottlings every couple of couple yeah. of weeks or something you know? <laughs> yeah you can always turn it down right because it doesn't always have to be six islays or six you know yeah. distillery versions or whatever and and you mentioned the indie bottlings then so i mean what i've noticed within your your bottlings great labels limited releases high quality um stuff I look at and think, I really need to try that. I definitely need to try that one. Um, that can get expensive quite quickly. Uh, but that that's a credit to you for pulling all that together. How, how did that start? That, that's something you've been doing for a couple of years. Yeah, so that's, yeah, about two, two years now. Um, and that really started again, almost by incident. So my business partner, Ian, um, he had done some bottling under a series called Copper Monument. And he'd had mixed success with this, you know, some some success, some not. And, you know, he'd learned a bit doing it. And he approached me and said, uh, are you interested to collaborate? You know, we've done this couple monument thing, but I think we would like to try a different approach. I don't know what that would be. Do you have any ideas? Would you like to collaborate? And it just so happened, I'd been thinking it would be nice to do a bottling for sponge or just, yeah, and I didn't know what that would be. I just assumed maybe I'll just somehow buy a cask of whiskey and do it with a sponge themed label just for fun. Or something. I, I, it was just a, a sort of random idea in the back of my head that is probably would nothing would have ever happened if Ian hadn't reached out. So that's really how it started. He said, oh, I've got any ideas? And I said, well, thinking about doing something with sponge. And so he said, well, I've got these couple of casks and they were really nice ones. There's a 1981 Glen Murray and a 1997 Hazelburn and both really lovely quality. And I thought, well, this is great. Let's just do a couple of whiskey sponge labels. And so we did really rudimentary kind of, I look at those early bottlings and, you know, it's, it's quite innocent what we were doing there. Yeah, blame, blame the brand team. That's yeah, absolutely, there's so much to learn. And so I was so, you know, in, you know, in the shallows in terms of experience and these things. It's been a very steep learning curve the last couple of years. But from there, again, it's just one of these things that just evolved. And for the third bottling, we thought, well, what, where else can we go? What else can we do for supplying interesting whiskies? So I had a conversation with Signatory. And I, I'm very lucky in that um, Andrew Symington is a big fan of the sponge. So Andrew Symington, who owns Edredar and Signatory, yeah, he, yeah, yeah. he's a big fan of the sponge. And he was happy to um, let us do a bottling under third party. Let's just select a cask and do a third party label. And again, that was another piece of the puzzle. And so we've just been quite like, I'm very focused and determined on finding quality whiskey, whether that's young or old or expensive or affordable or whatever. It's the thing that 
you know, primarily motivates me is, are we releasing something delicious and beautiful that I am happy to drink? I can't always afford everything we bottle. And that's always going to be the case in whiskey, I believe. But I stand behind the quality of the contents. And if you start with the contents, then the next stage is what's on the outside. What are you doing with this bottle? Because I'm very much against superfluous packaging and whiskey. I don't want boxes, don't want bags and tins. Yeah. I just want a bottle. And I think, right, what can we do with a bottle and a label? And that's where so much of my sort of motivation and challenge to myself has been is what can we do that's a wee bit different? Or how can we have fun? How can we do something that might be, you know, that em just embraces the themes of the sponge blog? But transplants them onto a bottle label so some of it is satirical some of it's most of it's very surreal and silly yeah. some of it's very funny some of it's got a touch more sort of pathos or melancholy like the you know some of the writing on the blog has yeah. and that was really where it all just sprang from and from there it's just evolved you know it started out as we were just a wee partnership now we're a proper company we've hired people you know we've just taken on um uh, uh lassie who's going to do marketing for us she's doing a great job so we're becoming a proper company. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and, you know, it's been a very rapid uh, journey, very quick. And so we've been playing catch up with ourselves a lot and we've had to learn so much so fast. But we're very lucky. We have a really good team. We have good people behind it with amazing business experience. And I've, you know, I'm frequently humbled by all the things I, like, you know, <laughs> I've, I've sat in, teams meetings looking at spreadsheets sort of inwardly dying on a precipice thinking well, what is this how am i how the hell am i going to get my head around unit economics what the fuck <laughs> yeah yeah because we go that you know we have that side of it that you know the, the presentational aspect looks you know all about colorful labels and funny images and silly rear labels and stuff and, and tasty whiskies but independent bottling is not that simple uh, and there's a lot of like serious discussion and analyzing data and you know crunching numbers going on behind the scenes that supports that and helps make it successful yeah but you talk about that um you've written a piece on that and, it, and it's it's brilliant you know it's a great insight into what life is like as an independent bottler and, and i think some people may think and and i meet people all the time i want to get a cask of whiskey i want to bottle it i'm going to sell it in my local shops and stuff and that that's fabulous but you know there's quite a lot of other things that need to happen to get that bottle into that shop that you're not quite understanding you know in some ways it's it's funny because in some ways independent bottling is literally just sending emails until some bottles arrive somewhere yeah. <laughs> but then on the flip side of that there's you know sending emails is also navigating all these different you know amazing it's 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 blown my mind how easy it is to just find your your time and your energy being consumed by this thing which is like why the fuck am I spending so long talking about this thing? Yeah. Why am I, why have I had four phone calls about foil today? Yeah. yeah. How does that happen? Mad, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It, it just does. And it's, so yeah, I, I would caution anyone um, not to get into independent bottling yeah. just so <laughs> that there's less competition for the- Less competition and more, people, more people buying your bottles. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Although that's the thing, you know, that I wrote, wrote that thing the other day and I keep thinking of things that I should have added to it. And one of the things that I should have added is that I actually think the current scene in Scotland is one of the most exciting times for mm. independent bottling because you've got a lot of people who are my contemporaries, you know, like the Thompson brothers, you've got Mark Watt, Ian Croucher, 
you know, you've got, uh, you know, great people at Adelphi and, uh, you know, all these, um, all, uh, Gregor at Lady of the Glen and all these, by and large, younger folk or people that have had their own journey in whiskey and have decided to carve out their own path. And it's great, you know, a rising tide floats many ships and mm -hmm. there's room for all these people and they're all really idiosyncratic, very strong, identifiable companies which reflect the people that are behind them and in some cases just the you know the one per one or two people that run them and i think that's great that's great for whiskey and uh, and they all we all put out widely different things yeah the, the, that sort of stamp of personality is on the labels on the liquid and on the way they talk about themselves and that's i think one of the things that makes me really excited and glad to be doing it you know yeah the thing i'm most excited about i'm, I'm involved in fable as well so you know that is a another sort of example of i think sort of smaller groups of people coming together and just trying to make something happen you know they've got an idea they don't know most of us just don't know how to make it happen despite the fact that we work for the big companies and we've dealt with production and things like that it's very different when you do it for yourself but i think one of the things that kind of struck me just as you were sort of rattling off those names and it's the, it's the energy, it's the passion, and, it, and it's this this kind of little bit of, um, I guess it's, it's everyone helping one another, uh, but at the same time, it's this little element of competitiveness amongst the groups within that as well, which is a healthy thing. Yeah, and, and you'll always have that in, in any business uh, yeah. field like that, and any anyone which is such a social and cultural world as well. You know, it's, it's our jobs, but it's also our lives and our hobbies, and it, mm -hmm. there's not many industries where there's such a, a thin margin between those different aspects of life. There's so much crossover. And uh, that's, I, th I do think, yeah, yeah, there's obviously healthy competition, um, but there's also a lot more uh, truthful and authentic. This goes back to what we were saying earlier about, you know, there's, you couldn't have done this 10 years previously, perhaps, yeah. um, have the sort of job, for want of a better word, that I've tried to make for myself. I think that's happening with with a lot of these folk. You know, they're they're putting out, you know, fun, different, interesting whiskies, and they've got, got their own styles, and they're being true to themselves, and they're being true in how they talk about whiskey and how they talk about their products. And you know, someone like Mark Watt is the sort of least inauthentic or varnished character in in whiskey, and I think that's that's brilliant. You know, you, whiskey needs more people like that. I think. Yeah. No. Totally. And, and you know, the thing is, is I was at a couple of whiskey shows over the last few months or so. What really struck me, and I stopped, I had, to be fair, I had pretty much stopped going to them um, quite a long time ago. And I didn't go a lot when I was when I was working on the sort of brand side anymore. And not, not because I, I didn't want to necessarily, just because I was busy with work. I've got kids and I can't give every Saturday up to just go and taste whiskey with people. You know, it's just, yeah. I couldn't do it anymore. And as I was kind of listening to people and watching people moving around, it really struck me how many non-geeks, you know, like, like people who are quite new to whiskey, um, were willing and looking out for some of the independent bottling um, products really coming over. I've never seen this before. Really, really want to try it. Cast strength. I haven't got a lot of experience, but I'm willing to taste it. And, and it was really, it was brilliant because I've always felt that and 10 years ago, like you said, um, if you'd gone back 10 years, could you have done it now? Then maybe not. Could do it now. 10 years ago, I, th I still feel independent bottlers were still very niche. Yeah, um, I think so. But I think that consumers generally are 
smarter and more wise to to bullshit and yeah and manufactured gibberish and stories and i think people a bit more intuitively in what certainly in what they eat and drink you know younger generations now are far more interested in all right what am i consuming who's made it why have they made it how have they made it what's their values what's their ethos what's mm. why do they decide to do this you know and i think people hone in on quality a bit more and i think they respond well to uh, products which also have a sense of fun and don't take themselves too seriously yeah. so the more that those values disperse and kind of percolate throughout whiskey and independent bottling uh, I think it makes it a more welcoming environment and a less scary and intimidating product and culture for people to come into that are perhaps you know newish to it or like you know, know they like whiskey but don't know a huge amount about it like you say yeah. and, and I, I think, think it has it's become less scary and that ultimately that's what that's what I'm seeing, you know, it's brilliant actually to go back to the festivals or even just to stand in some of the shops and just kind of see what people do. Um, and the creativity is the other thing that comes through in independent bottles that that perhaps a big brand can't quite do anymore because they're just, it's like moving a ship, isn't it? Sometimes getting some of their products yeah. out. They've got a brand that's established and, you know. Yeah. I hear a lot about the sort of internal goings on of these bigger companies. And like one of my ambitions is to do I'd love to do a bigger product. I'd love to have the, you know, the chart, like, you know, my dream would be if someone from Edrington rang me up and said, come and do a series of Highland Park whiskies for us. Like, fucking yes, I would love to do something like that. Yeah. But uh, first of all, no one in my wildest dreams is ever going to call up me to come and do that. <laughs> and secondly, it's, you know, it's, probably a totally different thing to independent bottling. It's a law unto itself. And if I think the spreadsheets are bad in our company or confusing, then uh, I think I'd probably be lost in a world of numbers that would, yeah, I wouldn't, from which I'd never recover if I tried to do it. Yeah, for, yeah. The, uh, stock models, stock models are an interesting thing. I remember once yeah. sitting in on the 30 year plan for McAllen Oof. and just, and, and, and what I realized was that nobody actually knows. It's great. <laughs> That's what I took yeah. from that. It's a kind of finger in the air and whoever says it most confidently it's probably closest to being right. That's it's as simple as that. <laughs> yeah, thirty-year plans can probably change as well. <laughs> ah, well, that, that's my point exactly. Yeah, yeah. Like, let's go in that direction. That that'll be fine. No problem. Let's do it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and no, it's, I, I I would like to do bigger, sort of larger scale products because I think I, I like the challenge and I like the particularly the challenge of trying to create character and quality on that scale. Uh, it's very hard. I mean, this is the thing about independent bottling. It's why so many of them end up, you know, the, the longer, more established ones. They've all got distilleries now uh, yeah. because independent bottling is not, uh, you know, it's not a monopoly, but mm. a distillery is kind of like a mini monopoly. If you make a, a really good whiskey and you brand it successfully, no one can really take that away from you. You can sort of carve out a degree of market share that's yours and, there's dependability and, and a bit of security there, but you, it's very hard to get that with independent bottling. It's, it's, you know, you're constantly, you know, even if you've got a successful brand, like I think whiskey sponge has a lot of goodwill as a brand. I think people like it, but at the end of the day, uh, there's so much competition for people's spend and it's, it's still the distillery name more than anything else that motivates yeah. alongside the price that motivates whether someone decides to purchase or not. Yeah. And, that's something which you only have so much control over. 
so it's you know that's where I think the challenge is and will always be for independent bottling um yeah <laughs> it's it's why a yeah. lot of them have to yeah them. no 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 it's, it's brilliant it's, it's a great insight actually and just to you know where you're at and, and how things are going so where, where can people buy uh the sponge bottlings then yeah. where are they available you can go to our website decadentdrinks.com and just sign up for an account and you can sign up to the mailing list that way being on the mailing list is the best way because you'll find out first and foremost about new releases there but you can also follow us on instagram decadent drinks uh, or at you know at decadent drinks yeah and there's the decadent drinks facebook page just search facebook for decadent drinks perfect and uh, you can follow along there and yeah you should be able to get all the the relevant info there but definitely i would say to people if you're interested in what we're doing and um, go on our website sign up to the mailing list legend brilliant mate thank you so much for joining us man thank you well, very much you enjoyed yeah. it. Thank you.